Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. The Athletic. The only way to score is, of course, to play uh, with a handbrake off. Hello, I'm Ian Stone. This is Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. This is our little midweek extra pod. For those of you who just feel 45 minutes with me and the gang, it's just not quite enough Arsenal chat. Uh, today, we're going to hear uh, a conversation Amy had with Matthew Flamini about his life before and after fo- his football career. And if you don't know what he's been up to since he stopped playing, well, the boy done pretty good. Uh, also, Amy talked to another boy who did pretty good, uh, Ian Wright. Uh, we'll also have a little reflection on Anfield at the weekend. And uh, later on, we'll be joined by Adrian Clark. But I'm here with Amy Lawrence. Hello, Amy. Oh, yeah. Hello. One of the things Matthew Flamity said, by the way, uh, some of my colleagues like to joke with me, finally you have your first real job. And Abby, our producer, suggested that as neither of us have a real job, <laughs> she wanted to know what our first proper job was. Uh, Amy, what was your first proper job? It was part-time, but my first paid work involves a payslip from Arsenal Football Club. No! Ooh. I used to work part-time in the Gunners shop, which was uh, the little building tacked on at the end of the clock end on Avenel Road when um, that was the only way to purchase anything Arsenal related. And uh, that was fun times, if a little bit surreal at times. And I'll never forget one day working in the summer holidays and uh, George Graham, he used to come, he used to, obviously the club was considerably smaller there in terms of the amount of staff it had. And he would he would like to know what was going on everywhere and know everybody. So he used to take a day and he would go into the box office for a bit and speak to all the box office staff. And then he'd go to the um, up you know up to the offices and speak to the reception telephone receptionists. And he came in the shop and uh, all the various uh, departments. And uh, he came into the gunner's shop and there was about four. There's nobody there apart from three or four of us behind the counter. Beautiful sunny day, closed season. And uh, hello, girls. You know, and we were all like, oh. And then an ice cream van came by and he said, who wants an ice cream? 
And uh, so we all abandoned the shop and went outside to the ice cream van for George to buy us an ice cream. And while we were standing out there, sun beating down, ice cream van, you know, pouring its lovely vanilla cones and 99s, somebody walked past, somebody <laughs> from the flats above threw some eggs aimed at George Graham from a window. <laughs> Only they missed and, and hit a woman with their shopping who happened to be walking by. And George gave her a look of consternation, you know, up at this window. And the whole thing was just so mad. Anyway, um, <laughs> it, wow. was a fairly, it was a fairly low-paid but enjoyable first job. Outstanding. Outstanding first job. That and is. much better than the jobs I did subsequently, which were, you know, eminently worse. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I mean, it's your first job. I mean, I started my first job. I had a part-time job in the co-op when I was 13 pricing up tins of stuff you know one of those machines and john who used to work there this sort of 19 20 year old geezer in a long coat i'm just nipping out for a fag price these up stony <laughs> and he'd do that about 100 times a day i was essentially a 13 year old in charge of a co-op <laughs> for a while but i think my pro my first proper job was working in petticoat lane market in the east end of london selling um marks and spencer's clothes that had a minor fault off a market store <laughs> Like beige and brown trousers for £7 each and safari suits for 20 quid. Anyway, that was uh, 16, I was, when that was. Well, how old were you in the Arsenal shop? About 17, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, for... uh, yeah, the things I'd done before then, I barely, cla you know, classify as, as, as proper jobs. But, no, no, you know, no. A bit of helping out in shops here and there. And then I ended up d doing a really glamorous couple of days a week inputting people's names and addresses into an early com computer that was probably the highlight of my crap job i could just see scenarios. a big fat screen and a, and a cumbersome keyboard i used uh, to drive to leeds to do that oh my god amy yeah yeah well not from london i was living in sheffield at the time but it was still a you know a very strange way of making a living and uh, but we've all got to start somewhere you weren't uh, around. You watched the Liverpool game, you told me, by the way, in um, somewhere where the telly was on, but there was no commentary and no one else was in the least bit interested. Yeah, I, I don't know how difficult. you could do that. No, I, I nearly didn't. I nearly left. It was that bad. No, we were, we escaped for Easter and um, found a local uh, uh, pub where we were, and which was not in, in England and not very interested in Premier League. Um so there were all these people just having a nice, uh, you know, Sunday afternoon drink in the local pub with a kind of, I don't know, um, top 40 rock and roll anthems on volume 11. Uh, and no commentary or crowd noise. That's so difficult oh, to actually, impossible. even though you can see the pictures when you can't hear anything relating to the match, particularly in terms of just the kind of oohs and ahs and, the temperature of the crowd, it's quite disconcerting. It's like, you know, really being robbed of a sense. Also, you want to be screaming I, as well, don't you? And well, you yeah, I, but I did actually, and uh, it was quite embarrassing. And there were people looking at us, you know. <laughs> Mum, mind you, your kids, your kids also. We were all as bad as each other. Of course, I'm just to say, they'd be screaming as well. And I'm, I've asked everyone, I asked uh, Art and Adrian, uh, one point gained or two points dropped or both? 
Well, at the time, I felt two points drop. It took me a little bit of kind of calming down, I think. Maybe it was just the stress of the situation uh, to regard it as as a point gained as well. Yeah, I, I think it was just such an emotional occasion. Uh, and I think it's interesting that if you ask that question to the players, I wonder where they'd be leaning. And I think certainly in the kind of immediate uh, aftermath of the match, they regarded it as points dropped as well, which tells you something about what they're trying to do, um, you know, and how they think it, it, that task is. Um, but yeah, obviously it was a sort of ridiculous game to assess. There was so much that was unpredictable and based on kind of energy rather than anything else. But yeah, one of those where you can't really... You can't really give it its its full meaning until a bit further down the line, I think. Quite. quite. Um, we have got, by the way, West Ham coming up next. I did read uh, something this morning that Bukayo Saka, he was talking about how he felt it was two points dropped and uh, they're trying to shake that off. I mean, in normal circumstances, you'd expect us to go to a team in the bottom five or six and win. But these are not normal circumstances, are they? If we turn up, if we turn up and play our football, we should beat them, right? Yeah, I think I think what they learn about the psychology of how they have been feeling lately is going to be interesting because, from a pure footballing point of view, Arsenal should be picking up six points from the next two games ahead of this slight change of temperature that that comes after that. Um, And I think if people were maybe struggling to work out whether it was a point gained or two lost at Anfield, I think we all know the answer about West Ham. It's got to be three points. And I'm not sure anybody really cares how Arsenal plays. It's lovely to play well and score loads of goals, but those points are critical now and that that you know I, i'm pretty sure that the team will be uh doing everything possible that the mindset is put in the right place to go and do that job yeah and uh Declan rice will he be um thinking uh, i might ease off a bit i want to join the champions <laughs> no he will not be thinking that <laughs> no i no i'm sorry i was just hopeful sorry i'm just going the same way you were going when you said maybe man city will ease off at some point and concentrate on the champions league but um that didn't seem to be not quite the same thing <laughs> no quite the chelsea game by the way they moved the chelsea game from the um saturday late afternoon to the tuesday night this is on the advice it seems of the police, something to do with police overtime because the uh, uh, the coronation is the week after. But it's three weeks or two and a half weeks before the game. People have booked flights. People have booked hotels. Arsenal have a worldwide audience. They come from all over the world to watch, and it's inconvenient. Inconvenient is a massive understatement. It's a, it's an offence really to those people. It's a total disrespect. As you say, I think the days are gone where your fan base was predominantly local and there is a global group of people who have been trying to get tickets to come and watch Arsenal all season. It's a monumental effort for them to organise. Tickets is hard to get at the best of times. Flights, hotels, everything else you've got to organise, time off work, etc, etc. It was a very, very good thread that I would urge people to have a look at that the AST put up a tweet the other day saying any you know essentially collecting and collating evidence of people of what kind of struggles they're now facing i think it's one thing if a game 
ostensibly stays on the weekend. So yes, instead of being Saturday, you're on Sunday, or instead of being morning, you're the afternoon, it, it can still be affecting in terms of global travel. But you've got half a chance. And I think, you know, if you're booking a weekend game and you maybe try and do Friday night to Monday morning or very, very late Sunday night, you're probably covered. But to then throw it completely off of the weekend, I mean, people are literally losing thousands of pounds, individuals. Um, maybe they can't come. Maybe they have to try and make changes. Uh, sometimes they're quite um, a big group coming. Uh, I know quite a lot of people coming from different places and, you know, had endless message exchanges and what have you. Uh, can they take their kid out of school for a couple of days to, you know, to stay till Wednesday instead of go back on on a Sunday or Monday morning? Um, you know, hundreds of pounds of changing flights uh, and accommodation. There's there's just an absolute ton of people from you name it, you know, America, India, Ireland, Sweden, Finland, you know, dozens of places where people are, have made great efforts. And it's too soon to be making these changes. And I do think that if the, if the billionaire clubs want to be uh, or, or TV organisations want to do this, they maybe have to start taking on board that there should be some sort of compensation available to people who are who find themselves that they're plans are unchangeable or the financial penalties are too much when it's such a close thing to the game it's, it's very unfair uh yes and i but well, it's good for it's quite good for the team <laughs> after it, all that yeah, it's good for the it's team. quite helpful because there was i think there was an opportunity wasn't there that the game could have been played earlier in the day but that gives a scarce recovery period after the man city midweek game away to then play sort of on the on the morning, Wednesday night, Saturday morning. Yeah, it's a bit soon, isn't it? Really? And I can understand why. You know, even though Arsenal don't want to inconvenience their fans too much, they also have a situation where they've got to try and look after this team as best they can. So yeah. tricky. Yeah, yeah, very tricky. I'd, I'd echo all those sentiments. Although I would say that I couldn't go to the game on the Saturday, but I can on the Tuesday. <laughs> Hate hate to say this, but me too. <laughs> We're really sorry. But... Sorry, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm laughing. We're no, laughing. There needs to be something. There needs to be something done that that uh, means that it's just not a kind of fans are left to their own devices to deal with the picking up the pieces of of uh, being completely thrown by a late change like that. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. We were a bit uh, with the handbrake at time. Well, look who's joined us on Zoom. Uh, it's Adrian Clark. How are you, Clarky? I'm all right. Yeah, I'm okay. Good. I feel I feel a little bit tender because I was in the in the Highbury Barn last night. You know, <laughs> chewing the fat over all things Arsenal. But um, but I'm all right. I'm here, and hopefully I can contribute. Well, we yeah. <laughs> was that what you said when you walked into a dressing room? <laughs> Clark is here, and I can hope I imagine? can contribute. And I feel a bit tender because I was in the Highbury Barn last night. <laughs> Hey, you wouldn't you wouldn't have been alone. Uh, Amy, of course, is still here with us. We're going to talk about former players. You are a former player, of course, because it's sort of interesting the way that that careers go after people finish playing. I mean, Amy, you spoke with uh, Matthew Flamini recently, a former midfielder, now billionaire. Um, <laughs> but it, that's not what defines him, but he is indeed. He runs a company that's worth a lot of money. And you also spoke with Ian Wright this week as well, and more about that in the, uh, in the coming weeks. But first of all, Matthew Flamini. Amy, just tell us, where were you? I mean, I, wrote, I read this in the piece, but just tell us where you were, because it's slightly noisy, isn't it, really? Well, we met uh, at the Renaissance Hotel, which is the beautiful building next to King's Cross St Pancras. That's a gorgeous uh, Familiar place. for, you know, occasionally you get these kind of people who, you know, uh, who have things, uh, you know, who, who's, who are neurodivergent, who manage to take one look at it and draw the entire thing from memory. It's one of those iconic places <laughs> that you think, oh, my God. It, it, yes. Anyway, it was re- it's very echoey. When I, when I strolled into to, to the appointed hour or a bit early, I thought, Jesus Christ, I can hear myself think. It was absolutely rammed and all these voices were echoing all over the place. And I'd spent five or ten minutes begging various people who worked at the hotel for somewhere quiet and they all looked at me as if I was an idiot. And then Flamini rolled up and uh, said, oh, you can find somewhere a bit quiet. I said, well, I tried. And he did one of those, leave it to me. <laughs> and uh, off, he, off he wandered and he does have absolutely extraordinary powers of persuasion which make you realise why he has had the careers that he has had. And he is a very, very unusual kind of a guy. His his levels of determination of making things happen and positive thinking are truly off the scale. He's very passionate, very convincing. He's got incredible energy. And he has taken that into his new life, uh, trying to essentially save the planet get rid of uh you know the dangers of the petrochemical industry yeah well uh, they covered a lot of ground this interview from that team in 2008 to leaving football uh, first he started by explaining what he does now everybody knows what's consumer goods we use everyday shampoo shower gel deodorant i mean we use uh, detergent for the house to clean the house all those consumer goods Okay, are made of 
chemical ingredients. Mm -hmm. But what we have discovered through the past few years is many of these ingredients are not only harmful for the planet, but also on the people. We basically manufacture okay, bio-based ingredients, so using uh, agriculture waste, mm -hmm. so plant-based, uh, plant-based, mm -hmm. plant-based mm -hmm. plant feedstock, mm -hmm. and we manufacture those ingredients for the consumer goods to make sure that the shampoo that you use, the pendant we use, the detergent we use for the house, mm -hmm. at the end, are much safer for people and more sustainable. You talk about challenges and solutions and stuff like that, and it felt like, you know, and you need that challenge. And this was, I think, was it the 2008 season when it was pretty close to winning the title? Yeah. And then this was a team who were, yeah, uh, were uh, close, you know. I, I mean, felt that season, that was one that uh, kind of got away. This was, uh, I would say, okay, if I have to pick a re some re a regret, mm -hmm. I think that, yeah. First of all, it was very emotional, yeah. Because for me, it was, uh, I mean, we were, you know, I think like we were a young team mm -hmm. in every way. I mean, like if I, if you look at the team, we had like Gail Fischer on the left, you have Bakaysan on the right, midfield, we also super, all super young, says myself, Thomas Rosicky. We kind of all grow together as mm -hmm. a team, you know, like from young kids mm -hmm. being like 18, 19 to mm -hmm. like then being like 23, 24, you know, mm -hmm. much more mature. So it was a team who, which was very close. We were all very close from each other. Uh, we grew up together as, as, as men and as human beings, you know, mm -hmm. so we also had a very strong understanding on the pitch and off the pitch mm -hmm. because we we're all very close. And that year was very emotional because, yes, I mean, like, we had like a very strong lead. I remember, you know, like leading the, the Premier League for, for many, many months, you know. And, and then in the Premier League, I remember like this game after, after the game against AC Milan in Birmingham. I mean, like, um, I mean, like we had like the terrible injury of, uh, mm -hmm. of Eduardo. And I think that, I mean, shocked all of us a little bit. Obviously, I, I you know, it's like I am, um, I don't believe in excuses, you know, mm -hmm. like, we all, like, grew up men and, uh, you know, it's like, it's, it's our fault, you know, like, if we lost it that year, but I think emotionally, like, it played a bit of, a, of, of an impact on us, and yeah, so, I mean, a bit of regret that year, because I think we had the, the quality, we had the potential, mm -hmm. we had the team to, to, to get ourselves out there, and, uh, and I think that year we opened the door to, uh, to our friend of Manchester United, so, I mean, they were, they had more experience, and, uh, and I will say, like, um, it was a pity, but yeah, it was a, it was a very emotional year, I will say. We spoke a little bit last time about that transition from when you finished playing to, to this. And, um, you know, how you, how you, you know, obviously retiring from that life, from that kind of almost like the special forces, as you were saying, you've been doing that for 15 years or so, living that life that adrenaline that every three days all that stuff the camaraderie and then you have a you kind of step out of that bubble and then finding yourself for where you want to be and what you want to do how did you find that period lots of people i think find it very very difficult and did you need this to kind of help you so as such what i mean the most is i don't think this is playing football but it's potentially like it's more the dressing room mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know this like um, camaraderie or it's like i'm sure if you speak to the special forces you know, when they stop, when they move on, what they miss the most is like that connection, mm -hmm. you know, because it's like, um, I would say it's like, it, it, it's, a f it's a total 
dedication, you know, mm -hmm. to the team. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've always put the team and the collective before the individuality, and I'm, I, I mean, like, I've, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm someone who always enjoyed sacrificing for the team. You know, the hard work on the pitch, I, you know, I enjoy doing it. So, you know, it's like when you part, it's like part, you're part of, of a gang, you're part of uh, a wolf pack. You know, and uh, you fight together, and uh, you live together, and uh, you grow together. Mm -hmm. You know, so because at the end of the day, we spend more time with our teammates uh, than our family. So, um, you know, once you don't have that anymore, and you have to potentially like live on your own, uh, mm -hmm. fight on your own, mm -hmm. grow on your own. It's obviously like, again, it's a, it's, a, it's a new phase of your life and it's a new adaptation. So if you ask me what I miss the most, it's definitely like the wolf pack. Do you think uh, you talk about unfinished business? Like we mentioned before, the possibility of, you know, maybe in future getting back into football in a more, you know, business role. Would you say your previous clubs, you feel like you have some something special there, Arsenal, Milan, or yeah, Marseille? I mean, are those the places you want to be or is it more about you would in be interested in any good I mean, project or do you feel like no, I mean, you have oh, to be where you have to be no, I mean obviously like those clubs have played a, a special role in my career and they have a special place in my heart but I think it's, it's, it's all about the right opportunity yeah. and I strongly believe you know the right time the right place with the right people mm -hmm. so I mean never say never we'll see uh, we'll see uh, what the future will be made of and like I always say you know I'm a believer so if things have to happen, they always do. And, uh, um, you know, I like to say, you know, like, uh, if you want something very much, the universe usually brings it to you. So let's see uh, what the universe will bring, uh, will bring in. That was uh, Matthew Flamini talking to Amy. If you want something very much, he said the universe will usually bring it to you. <laughs> I love that line. <laughs> well, I think we all hope he's right, don't we? Let's be fair. Um, <laughs> um, Amy, I'll ask you first. I mean... You know, that energy you talked about, has he changed? Did you ever interview him when he played for the team? Was there a hint when you interviewed him in the past that he might go on to do something extraordinary like he's done now? Uh, not, I suppose not so much in, in this kind of complete transformation of what world you're in. Um, but he was definitely someone who had that intensity and drive that you thought whatever it is he chooses to do, he'll make something of it. Uh, I couldn't see him you know, putting his feet up and sort of swanning around the world, just living the good life post-football. He, I, I think he's someone you can't imagine having a day off, you know, yeah, he's one of those. And I wouldn't be amazed if he ends up in football in some capacity, but I think it'll have to be on his terms. It'll have to be something where what he can bring, he thinks will really make a difference. Well, I guess I guess he can do what he wants, obviously, with the amount of money uh, that the company's worth. I mean, I loved the other thing. I loved. I love reading the reasons because I read the piece as well. That he left to go to Milan, and he just listed the team he was going to play with, and he went, "Oh yeah, yeah, that, that's fair enough, really." Kakar and Sadov and various other players. Yeah, I think I'd have gone too. To be fair, um, that was that was a list of a list of a list of greats. That is for sure. And what was interesting that was that. He said that because a number of those senior players had business interests outside of football, that it had kind of opened his eyes up a little bit to to what was what was out there beyond beyond the game. So that move, 
I think was important for him on on a few levels. Um, and that is it's things like this that that impact your lives, the crossroads moments. It's the people you bump into along the way that can really shape what you end up doing as a person. Uh, and and it's possible that uh, one of them showed him how to volley the ball properly, and he came back and he scored two away at Tottenham including one into the top corner in front of the away end. So we appreciate the help we got there as well. Adrian, what was it like when your, when your age group retired? I mean, the generation before you, the options were much narrower, right? They essentially ran a pub or opened a sports shop. That is essentially what players did when they retired. But with your with you guys, I mean, you obviously didn't earn enough money like they did today to retire and just do something completely different. But, I mean, I guess they had a, a variety of things that they went and did. Yeah, my own situation is different to, to players of my own generation that stayed in football for, for longer than I did. You know, my options were very narrow because I didn't earn great wages, you know, in, in fairness. You know, I didn't really have much behind me financially from, from my sort of short, shortish career in professional football. So I had to get a job and I had to take a job on fairly low money at the outset. So my options were limited. But what I did was find something I was really passionate about from the get-go. And that drove me That drove me on. But yeah, for, for my contemporaries, I think, yeah, that, that, that earned good money. Yeah, it just gives you freedom, doesn't it? To use your, use your cash, um, to, to invest in companies, to come in quite senior, to, to start up businesses, to, to invest in loads of properties, which is what so many footballers do. It, yeah, it's very, very different. And, but the one thing, one conversation that's always stuck in my mind was David Platt on the bus. He was looking at yachts and I was like, Platt, if Put put the yacht catalogue away, will you? Like you're just winding me up now. And he he just went went into this long long sort of moan and whinge about, oh, you don't know how lucky you are. You know your generation, you're gonna have so much more money than than I've got. And I'm like, this is David Platt, who's who's uh, I think he'd 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 had a number of multi million pound transfers, and and he was absolutely minted. See, I'll never forget that conversation. He was all right, um, but the players that went that went before him did did have limited options, didn't they? And you just had to get a proper job. I remember my uncle worked with Bobby Moore. Uh, yeah, it worked, worked at a normal, I think it was a mortgage firm or something like that. Incredible. After he captained England to win the World Cup. Yeah, it's incredible. Go on, Amy, you want to say something? Oh, I, th- I think I think there's various things that are, you know, that, that kind of post-career period can be really traumatic for any footballer, um, whether you're, you know, how much you prepare for it or not. But, you know, having been sort of I wouldn't say institutionalized that's not quite a fair word but you know in a in a lifestyle where so much is organized for you you know you don't have your own choices and and things to control it's like your lifestyle is set out by others who make sure that you're in this place and doing that thing and what have you um it, it can be quite daunting to go out into the big wide world with you know without other people having organized stuff for you just as one very basic thing but obviously you know a lot of people never you know quite irrespective of how much money they make out of the game the problem when they finish is how to replace what Flamini calls his wolf pack which I thought was a really evocative line but that you know the camaraderie your friends the dressing room and virtually anyone I've ever spoken to who's been a player talks about that being the hardest thing to handle being absent. 
And so I think what you then choose to do, you know, you've got all this adaptation to make and you've got the rest of your life in, in front of you and you're, you know, usually on the younger scale of, you know, general people um, in a job change. So you've got to deal with all this adaptation and then it's like, well, what now? And, you know, where, where I, obviously I think for me is quite rare to have taken that jump into being an entrepreneur in a completely new world, which was, you know, science and green chemistry. But even, you know, having had the chance to go and uh, chat with with Wrighty today, uh, this week as well, while he was opening, you know, a fantastic new facility at his old school, in, you know, in memory of Rocky and also kind of proudly what were, you know, from where, where he came from. That sense of being able to do things to help people, to put put something back in can be a um, some sort of salvation, some sort of help during, I think, that time where you're trying to sort your head out about, uh, you know, rewriting who you are outside of football as a person. Well, let's uh, listen to a little bit of that chat that Amy had uh, with Ian Wright. This was at his old school, right, Amy? And, uh, yeah, that's right, Turner yeah. McGammy. Well, let's have a listen. I can't sit here in this building and not mention Mr. Pigden <laughs> because mm. like a lot of people, that story's just moves you in a way that you don't expect in your regular life. Yeah. And I just wanted to ask if you, if you feel proud of the fact that by sharing that story and mm. sharing that video in the way that you did, you, you let people out there who, who maybe don't know where they're going to find someone who believes in them. Um, you, you let yeah. them see that you can be vulnerable and you can yeah. be troubled and yeah. you can be struggling mm. and you just need to find someone to believe in you. You just need somebody to believe in you like Mr. Pigden did when he saw me outside that classroom. I don't know what he saw. I don't know what, what it was, but he saw something. And I'm sure that now, you know, he'd be very proud of what's happened here. Um, and he'd be very proud of the fact. And that's like when you look at the video and... When he says, Ian, I'm very proud of you. You've, you know, that gets me every time. Even if I watch it, I can't watch that very, very, I can't watch that often. And I don't mind that because when I do watch it, when he says, um, he's, how proud he is, that makes me so happy because I remember the times we was upstairs is a, in the library room. I think it's changed now, um, the library room, where he used to teach me how to read and write properly. And then when I started playing football, he taught me how to finish and finish with like, finish precision and, and, and really clinically. You know, all those things came from him. Everything that's happened to me in the way I play, the way I think, the way I am, came from that man shaping how I am. So, like I say, I opened his plaque. He's got a plaque on the front of the school there, which I'm really proud of. And then this now, you know, this is all down to, to Sydney Pigton. It brings it all round. Yeah. It's about, you know, that guy was your role model, your, yeah. your lifeboat, someone to cling on to. Yeah. And now you're trying to give that. Absolutely. In your and Rocky's name, he would have done the same. Yeah. And, I, I'm, I'm, and I'm pleased about that. And I'm sure he'd be pleased about that because, like I say, he was somebody that could have had an unbelievable career in the army, but he wanted to teach. And I'm just fortunate enough that he was somebody that I, my, like our paths meet, met, and he changed my life for the good. Changed my life for the good. And now we're doing good with this now. This hopefully will change other people's lives as well. Uh, yeah, that was uh, Amy chatting to uh, Ian Wright. That help that Ian Wright had, Amy, you talked about it with Wrighty, about Mr Pigden. We've all seen 
that incredible uh, 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 video when he turns around, he realizes he's still alive. Adrian, everyone needs that, right? Everyone needs that bit of help when they're starting out. Of course you do. Yeah, you need you need help and support from people close to you, and and it's yeah, and I think you know most footballers do they want to remember and give back, and and right, he's very very good like that. He's got a long long memory, and he he had it that he his pathway to the top of football was not an easy one. It wasn't a traditional one. You know, he had to go go through a lot of hurdles, and I think that he's been very conscious to always. Um, yeah, always keep his roots and where he's come from very close to close to the forefront of his mind. And and yeah, whenever he whenever he can, he is willing to to go and help that that local community. He is a he's just such a good egg, isn't he, Righty? I love him. Um, he's just a bit, he is turning into a national treasure, isn't he? Um, turning into he's, he is he's yeah, an icon. No, I know he is. He's an icon, he is. and we all, but, we but all know he is that. He, he is like that. And it's not an act. He's he's always been like that, you know, since since he was a kid. Well, not a kid, but I knew him when he was probably in his late twenties, I guess. And yeah, me as a youngster, a teenager, uh, it couldn't have been more more friendly and welcoming to to me. He was one of the one of the main players I would say that wanted to to be my mate, you know, and talk to me on those journeys, those coach journeys to matches. Very, very inclusive, righty. And uh, because I think he knows he knows how people when they're on the outside feel. You know, when you when you first turn up and you're in the first team and it, he knows how nervous you are. He was very, very conscious, I think, of, of making people relaxed. And if that meant absolutely hammering you um, or giving you a nickname that you hated, uh, like he did for me, then um, then that was all part of it. It was great. Can you remind us of that nickname again? Just one more. The Reverend. I am the Rev. <laughs> I am the Rev. So I was re- on righty, very quickly. Um, I'll tell you what, this is what he's like. When I was doing the break, well, I still do the breakdown, but you know, it's 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 not on the website like it used to be, and obviously appearing on different things. I don't know where he's seen my work. I was assuming it was my breakdown that 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 he was messaging, but he just would text me sometimes. Every now and again, he just text me, Clarky, loving your work, mate. Great, great analysis, top work. Keep it going, mate. Keep it going. I don't, I don't see righty from one, you know, six months to the next, but. And I'm not I'm not texting him. I wouldn't dream of texting him to say, Oh, you were great on match of the day. But but it's a different dynamic, isn't it? And and he was he was trying to make me feel good and to give me encouragement when he absolutely didn't need to. That's what he's like. That is he's him. A great guy. That is yeah. him. And and Amy, that him talking about Mr. Pigden and having a plaque up there. You know, Sidney Pigden, the number of people that he's made happy by doing what he's done for righty. I think it's a fitting thing that there's something there in that school for him. Well, I just think that it's a kind of everyman parable, you know. I I think why that video strikes people and affects them is because as a human, you know what it's like to feel down, rejected, misunderstood, stuck... You know, you name it. There's no human being, no matter who you are, who escapes from difficulties. And when when you are on the floor like that, or when you are, you can't see the wood for the trees, no matter how much you want to try and be brave and, and, and find a way out yourself, you know, we need other people. We need people to look out for us. We need people to put an arm around us, to spend time with us, to listen, to understand. And... For some reason, and, you know, I think, right, he almost does feel there's something a bit spiritual about this. This man turned up in Ian's life. Um, 
if you can hear Rocky, as in my dog, um, he's just agreeing with everything that we're just saying, which is poignant, really. But yeah, uh, yeah I do find that it strikes me, and it's and it's the reason why you don't just see it once and think about it. You might think about it again and again, or every time you see it, have that same emotional reaction because. I can empathise. I can think of people in my life who pick me up off the floor and change the course of things for me. And I try to help others if I can. You know, you've got to pass it on. And that's what, you know, Wrighty felt it and experienced it. And he sees a duty in trying to do that for other people. And what's was so beautiful about seeing this little football pitch that's in their school. And Wrighty was talking about how it used to be kind of really uneven and crap. And he was... Yeah, it's, it's something that I think everyone can uh, uh, relate to when you're thinking about your school days and going out a break to play football. And he was like, there was two goals and everybody had to run at break because you wanted to get a goal because otherwise you'd have to, to play against the wall and that was rubbish, you know. And obviously, particularly with Wright, you can imagine how much he needed to have a goal. And uh, it was uh, it was really very moving to see him and the Rowcastle family, Janet and the girls and David's brother, Stephen, all there. And there's little, you know, little weenie kids coming out to have a kick around, knowing that this place might just change their life a bit, bring some goodness in that they wouldn't get any other how. Yeah. It was really interesting when when Amy just mentioned about sort of filling that void Flamini called it the wolf pack, you know, the camaraderie inside the dressing room. That is what I really missed initially. And I struggled with it. And um, and I found a wolf pack in my sort of first job in London, a place called Icons. We were sort of all young football journalists. And basically, I, I, I helped to create a dressing room environment. I basically copied what, what happened in a, football, in a football dressing room. And I introduced a fine system in an office. And, and it was sort of my way of raising money for the Christmas do, which, was, which was, uh, turned out to be very good. Um, but, but mainly to just have that dressing room banter because it can be so sterile outside of football when, when you first go into it. And, and it was just hilarious. And, and we were we were finding people for, you know, talking pidgin English to foreign people on the phone. For the mention of rugby was was a pound, you know, and 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 swear words and uh, half measures on cups of tea were punished, and and we had a long long list of fines. And there was one guy, very close. Um, well, I think we all know him. Uh, he's part of the athletic, and uh, the the major fine was for uh, snogging somebody in the office. And if you were to snog somebody in the office, that was uh, that was a heavy heavy um, financial penalty. Um, but it turned out all right for um, for Ian McIntosh, <laughs> who ended up marrying marrying uh, <laughs> said said girl Rachel. So it was money well spent. Uh, so thank you for that one, Macca. Um, one one more thing on that, if we are talking about that, after the um, when the pandemic happened and uh, obviously we couldn't do any uh, work as a comic, uh, first gig back was in a car park. That's what we used to do, these gigs in car parks with loads, loads of cars hooting when they found a joke funny. But being back in the dressing room uh, for the first time in five months, uh, it, all of us suddenly realised, listen, we love doing comedy, we love standing on stage making people laugh, but this sitting in a dressing room with other mates, slagging off other comedians who weren't there. <laughs> that, <laughs> that is what we miss the most. So um, 
Yeah, it makes it it's completely understandable what Matthew uh, Flamini is talking about. Let's have a song before we finish. Amy, I'm going to come to you first. What song have you got for us this week? In this rather quiet week. Yep, I'm uh, going to go for a song by Nick Lowe. A very beautiful song called You Inspire Me. And that's how I felt listening to Flamini explain how he was trying to save the world. And that's how I felt listening to Ian Wright giving everything he's got to help young people have a better life. Lovely. What about you, Adrian? Yeah, I um it was it was Flamini that inspired me. Um obviously with the with the biochemical firm. It got me thinking about Chemical Brothers and some songs and and the one that sort of stands out is Galvanized um by the Chemical Brothers because you know that's what he's trying to tr- trying to do, isn't he? He's trying to galvanize all of us to change to change our habits and to to think about the planet and, and some of the lyrics on the on the on the song are quite apt as well. I've gone, uh, after listening to Wrighty talking about Sydney Pigdon being proud of him, I've just chosen Pride by U2 because love the song and uh, why not in the name of love. So uh, that's it for the pod. Thank you to Adrian. Thank you to Amy. And thanks to Abby, our producer. And uh, (laughs) enjoy the game on Sunday as much as you can. Uh, I'm Ian Stone. This has been Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.